0: Please turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 6 as we continue to look at this chapter and what Paul tells us in it. We're in the second half of the chapter, verses 15 through to 23. Uh, Before we begin, I, I need some volunteers tonight. Uh, I need some volunteers to become my slaves. Is, Is there nobody willing to be my slave? The pay is pretty good. You get nothing. You know, the job's not that difficult. You just do my complete bidding. I'm not that hard to please. No willing volunteers. Well, that doesn't really surprise me, does it? doesn't surprise you either. Slavery, to us, has an overwhelmingly negative appeal. As modern Western people, we, uh, it brings to our minds the Afro-Caribbean slave trade of the 18th and 19th century and the barbarity of selling people's lives for profit. We, uh, we tend to think of William Wilberforce and the abolishing of the, of the slave trade And that awful practice all all over the empire and over most of the world. Slavery in our minds is something that is entirely wrong, should not be sanctioned, should not be sponsored, or in any way a part of our life. However, do you realize you are a slave? You serve a master. Now, none of you are my slaves, and you definitely didn't want to be, and I would imagine that none of you are a slave to another person, but yet you are slaves. Now, I'm going to take a guess and say that not many of us are completely comfortable with that idea. Yet that is exactly how Paul describes the Christian life in the second half of Romans 6. He explains that we are slaves and that there actually is no choice in the matter. Either you are a slave to sin or you're a slave serving God. And it's these two slaveries that Paul uh, describes for us in these verses and gives us a great encouragement as Christians to make sure that we are a slave to God and not to sin. Now, this morning, as we looked uh, at the first half of this chapter, we discovered that as a Christian, you are united uh, to Christ, united in Christ, in his death and in his resurrection. And as a result, we are to count ourselves, uh, says Paul, as being dead to sin and alive to God. And uh, it's this... uh, This illustration of slavery that Paul now uses to help us see what this means to be alive to God. Being united to Christ means that we are free from sin's ability to punish us in death. Free from its power to compel us to serve it. We are now free to offer ourselves to God. And this, friends, is the normal Christian life. It's not for special people, it's for every Christian. You're called to offer yourself to God. To stop serving sin, but serve God, your new master. In verse 15 of of chapter 6, Paul anticipates another objection that may come, and probably did come, because of his teaching on grace. In verse 14, he had told these Roman Christians that they were not under the law. That is, they were not under its judgment and condemnation because they failed to keep it fully. Rather, these Christians were under grace. Under God's unmerited favor. So does that mean then, since they are freed from the law's requirements, that they can sin all they like because they already have God's favor through his grace? That they have received and which they now stand. You see, any right thinking Jew. uh, Would have understood that the law was a good thing. That the law was there to make immoral people moral. To make bad people good. The law was designed to keep a check on society. To prevent people from being too wicked. And doing whatever they jolly well pleased. But is the gospel then. Giving people the license to sin with um, immunity, to just carry on sinful behaviour without any change of character or lifestyle, and so this objection is very similar but slightly different to the one in verse we looked at this morning in verse one. Does the gospel of grace mean then, in practical terms, that the way the way I live, the way you live, doesn't matter? I'm saved by grace, so I'm okay. I don't need to worry about sin or judgment. I have my golden ticket in my hand, and I'm waiting to wave it in St. Peter's face when I reach the pearly gates, so what I do now doesn't matter. Is it the case of once saved, always saved, so just relax and forget about it, don't worry about sin? And I think that is the idea behind the objection. For any, of course, as I said before, right-minded, clear-thinking Jew knew that even pagan religion was meant to make bad people better. So what Paul was saying seemed to suggest that bad people could be saved and yet wouldn't have to change at all. But Paul immediately rejects the idea like he did the last time. And he expands again on the idea of a Christian having died to sin. Only this time he speaks of it in terms of a new slavery. For when you become a Christian, you stop being a slave to sin and you become a slave to God. Notice what he says. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey. Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or obedience, which leads to righteousness. As a a Christian, as someone who is in union with Christ, united to Christ by faith, and called to live out the reality of that relationship, you must not serve sin any longer. That is what Paul is getting at. And there are only two options available for people. Either you serve sin or you serve God. There are no other options. That's it. So as a Christian, Paul is calling these people, don't serve sin don't give themselves to obedience to their sin, the old tyrant's sin, but rather obey their new master. Now the idea of slavery in Roman times, in the time of Jesus, was a lot different from what we understand of slavery to be like. We think Afro-Caribbean slavery, uh, 19th and, uh, early 18th, uh, late 18th century, early 19th century. That kind of era, But in New Testament times, it was possible for a person who was like a down and out, we might say, to sell themselves into slavery in order to survive. The person would have food, water, somewhere to live. They would be looked after as they serve their master. They're selling their life to someone in order to survive. And this was common understanding of the time. And so Paul uses this idea of slavery to show us that as a Christian, you are not an autonomous individual capable of doing your own thing. Rather, you're a slave in service to a master. The only question is, which one? For there is only the tyrant sin, or God. Now, because, of course, we live in a modern Western culture, The way we view ourselves, the way we view ourselves as people, we tend to think of ourselves as autonomous individuals in service to nobody, only ourselves. That's the way culture views what a human being is. Yet in reality, there is no such thing as autonomous human life. The moment I start serving myself, I have sinned. I've broken the first commandment and, by definition, have become a slave to sin. So the only other option I have is to serve God. If I remain a slave to sin, the only option I have is to serve sin. That's what we've seen this morning, isn't it? But because of union with Christ, we know we have been freed from sin, freed from the dominion of sin... And therefore we're set free. But we're not free, as in free to do whatever we please. As freedom is often used in our our culture. But we are rather free to be a slave to a different master. And the issue of course is this. Whichever master I obey is the one I am a slave to. That's what Paul's saying here. I might think I'm a slave to Christ, but if I obey sin, then sin is my master. And that's the reality for us. Who we obey in the Christian life determines who our master is. Whichever master I obey is the one I am a slave to. But Paul has called us not to obey sin, Rather, we must obey God. Serve him him in obedience, and that leads to righteousness, not sin, which leads to death. You can't just do what you want. You do not have a license because of grace to live whatever way you please. If your life is characterized by unrepentant sinfulness and it doesn't seem to matter to you, who is your master? If you use the grace of God to justify you getting away with things which are truly sinful and wrong, either in your actions or your thought life, who is your master? Who are you serving? For the Christian life, although never entirely free from sin, should be characterized by obedience to God. By serving him and living for him, not for our own self sinful uh, desires. You are united to Christ by faith. You have died to sin, so don't live in it any longer. But who is your master? Paul uh, thanks God then that these Roman Christians, as he was writing to, however they used to serve sin, they have now obeyed the gospel and have become slaves to righteousness. But thanks be to God, he says, that though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I put this in human terms because you're weak in your natural selves. Notice here that Paul tells them that this illustration of slavery is imperfect. It's not perfect. It's a, it's a human argument to help us understand. That there, for in reality there is no real choice. If you don't serve God you will serve sin. Sin. And the only way to be released from serving sin is by God's grace. Only because of the work of the cross are these Christians transformed from from slavery to sin in Adam to obedience of faith in Jesus and new life. And that's the point he makes. It's because they wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which they were entrusted. Or more literally we might say they obeyed from the heart the form of teaching, which I think here is the gospel. The gospel. For them, the only way they can obey God is through the teaching of the gospel, which makes them new and unites them to Jesus by faith. It's all understanding this that has caused them to obey from the heart. And so they are no longer slaves to sin and its desires, but they are slaves to righteousness. That is right living. Living for God, we might say. You see, the only reason that these people can possibly be slaves to righteousness is through the gospel of grace. So far from uh, the gospel actually giving us a license to do whatever we please, actually it does the opposite. That's what Paul's point is. He teaches us that to obey God and live with him as our master. Grace is the only true way to change people's living. When people hear the gospel and understand it and see it for real, they change. For the Jews and the pagans... They thought that the law was the only way to change people. If you have clear laws, that will make bad people live correctly because they will fear the punishment. Yet remember what Paul has already told us in Romans, that you can't keep the law. Law keeping is folly because it is impossible to keep it completely, to keep it perfectly. The law cannot change people. It cannot make them obey from the heart. And that's the difference between religion and the gospel. Religion lines up rules and laws which, keep, which you keep in order to make you holy and make you acceptable. Even in, in, in our society, the way the government tries to, use, uh, tries to make society better, they, they introduce laws. More and more laws. So there's a problem with alcohol. What do they do? They make more laws. They may make it more difficult for people to buy alcohol by bumping up the price by law. Now, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. Don't get me wrong. Only that the law will not really change people. Those who want to abuse alcohol will still manage to do it if they want to. Because the law will not fix the main problem that people have. That is their slavery to their sin. And the judgment that God is dealing out And will finally delight permanently at the end of the ages. But the gospel changes people from the heart. It addresses the deepest issue and turns people from slaves to sin to slaves to righteousness. People who live to God and seek his glory and the good of their neighbor. The gospel sets us free from slavery to the tyrant sin and releases us. To freely serve God and experience His new life. Now, I am cautious that there may well be people here who are struggling with sin and longing to be released from its grip. But remember, Paul is not saying here that we will totally be freed from sin in this life. Sinless perfection is not a possibility. As we said this morning, we live in the overlap of the ages. We might have new spiritual life, but we are still part of a sinful world that is yet to be fully redeemed. So if you are struggling with sin, that is a good sign. That is a good sign. That shows that you desire to be free from it, that you're not content to live with it. You're seeking to live your life for God and not in that continuous slavery for sin. Now we will go on struggling with sin in this life and Paul will speak more about this in in chapter 7. But if you're struggling then I don't want to blunt the challenge and the encouragement that Paul talks of here. We need to keep saying no to sin and keep seeking to serve God. We need to continue to be a slave to God and not return to the slavery of sin. And the only thing that is going to motivate us in this to keep us going in it is to look to the gospel. To look to the cross. To keep understanding that, uh, what that means and to live accordingly in your life. Keep looking to the cross, understand that you are free from sin. You have died to it and you need no longer serve it. My friends, you, you don't need a second baptism or a new spiritual awakening or a higher spiritual life to get victory over sin. What you need is the motivation of the gospel. So, as Paul says in verse 19, just as you offered the parts of your body in slavery to impurity and to ever increasing wickedness, so now offer them in slavery to righteousness leading to holiness. And Paul, Paul doesn't say this as if he's sitting here with a big blackthorn stick just cut from the hedge and says, Do this or else. He's giving us actually an encouragement to consider who we are who we are as a Christian and to live not like we used to in response to sinfulness and its uh, its desires and to live in ever increasing wickedness but rather to offer ourselves in slavery to righteousness to live uh, as God desires us to and that in turn leads us to holiness increasing holiness the very opposite of wickedness our motivation is the gospel look at what God has done for us in Christ and live it out Tim Keller's famous soundbite helps us grasp this. Religion says, I do, therefore I'm accepted. The gospel says, I'm accepted, therefore I obey. But who are you obeying? That's the question. Sin and ever-increasing wickedness? Do you disregard sin, accept it as if it's inevitable? Just stop worrying about it because you can't do anything about it? Is that your attitude? Are you living in unrepentant sin without any worries about it? Then there's no doubt who your master is. Or are you living to present your body to righteousness, which brings holiness? Are you saying no to sin and seeking to live out that union with Christ as a new person? Walk in newness of life? Are you using your mind for what is good and pure and upright? Are you using your money for the service of God and thankfulness? Are you using your home and your car and your family to bring glory to God and and for the good of your neighbor? Or for service to your own sinful wants and desires? Are you using your time to serve God or yourself? Let's not try and dilute the impact of what Paul is saying here. You are a slave to God. If you're a Christian, that is what you are. But does your life show it? Then finally, there's the consequences of each slavery. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness, says Paul. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? These things result in death. But now you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God. The benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Before the Christian life, before you were a Christian, you were free from the control of righteousness. Before you were a Christian, in slavery to sin, righteousness wasn't even on the radar, was it? You did not even consider that we needed to be in slavery to righteousness. And what benefit did you reap from that way of life? When you pursued your own dreams and desires, things that as a Christian you're now rightly ashamed of? That life that is free from righteousness, it's enticing, isn't it? Still is, if we're honest with ourselves, I'm sure. But the benefits that it pays out, well, they're death. The wages that sin pays are death, verse 23. You see, sin sin is a very good accountant, he doesn't cook the books, try to swindle you out of your wages. He's not like the government seeking to cut back. There's no such thing as, uh, as austerity cuts with sin. Sin pays in full. And living under tyrant sin, you will always get paid for the work that you do. Sin's very fair that way. You get what you deserve. Your labor is rewarded accordingly with death in the future. Eternal death and shame and guilt in the present. That's the benefit you reap from being a slave to sin. But in stark contrast, as we we look at the broad picture of the two slaveries side by side, we find that having been set free from sin, to being a slave to God, the benefit, or maybe we could even say the fruit that it produced is holiness or sanctification. Same, Same word in the Greek. Being a slave to God produces in us holiness, ongoing holiness. As we live the grace transformed life and it ultimately brings eternal life. And what's more, it's a gift. It's not a wage that is paid to us like sin. Rather, it's a gift that we receive even when we don't rightly deserve it. There's a difference between the two slaveries. One brings death and shame. The other brings holiness and eternal life through Jesus Christ. The two could not be more different. The contrast could not be more stark. There, Paul shows us here, no, there is actually no such thing as a Christian whose life has lived in persistent sin. For their obedience shows who their master is. Who their true master is. Instead, a Christian is a slave to God, seeking to live his life in obedience to him, saying no to sin and obeying his master. That's the normal Christian life dead to sin, alive to God, obeying God, disobeying sin and its desires. So that leaves us, friends, with some very, very searching questions. Who is your master? Who do you obey? And it also leaves us, if you are a Christian, with a big call to action. To live out who you are. You, as a Christian, are dead to sin, alive to God. So your life must reflect that reality. As we present our whole selves in slavery to our new benevolent master. Who has made it possible for us to be free from that tyrant Sin. Christopher Ash in his commentary in Romans tells the story of a great eagle. That eagle was tethered to a post. Walking sadly round and round the post. One day a new owner announced that he would set the bird free. A crowd gathered to watch as the rope was removed. And the eagle continued to walk round and round in the same way as before. He was free to fly away, but he didn't. That sad picture shows us the absurdity of continuing to live in sin and serving it. Brothers and sisters, you are free in Christ to live a new life. A life of holiness, a life that is free from shame and guilt. A life that results in eternal life at the end of the ages. So don't continue in the same old rut. But remember who you are in Christ. Present yourself to him as a slave to righteousness with joy and thanksgiving because that that is true christian experience let's pray father your word is sharper than a two-edged sword as we think upon its challenge and upon its rebuke upon its wisdom as we look into that perfect uh, law as we look into that mirror we do see ourselves as we really are and we would ask your forgiveness for the sins we have committed and ask lord for your continued grace to motivate us to continue the fight with sin the struggle that we have Help us to live out who we really are. We thank you that we indeed are Christians, that we are united in Christ by faith. We thank you that we are a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Help us to live in that reality. Help us no longer to serve our old master, but rather to serve our new one, to serve the Lord Jesus, to give our lives for the glory of God and for the good of our neighbor. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.